Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. Welcome to all of our campuses today. We're so thankful for all that God's been doing in this series. We've been in this series called Live in Love, talking about our relationships, our marriages, or a dating relationship, and how are we growing. And each week in this series, you've heard from a different couple in our church uh, on our staff team. And today, I want you to hear from Chase and Courtney Baker. And uh, many of you guys know Chase is our family pastor here at Rolling Hills and just an amazing man of God. And they're an awesome couple together. And so Chase, Courtney, thank you so much for sharing today. And uh, tell us a little bit about how did you guys meet? That's a great uh, story. We actually met in elementary school. So we were in fifth grade. We went to the sixth grade dance together and we actually have a picture of a sixth grade dance of you really can't see me because Courtney looks like a giant next to me <laughs> because I just I haven't grown into my own yet. We have not been together since sixth grade. We have not been together because since Chase grade. made a very critical error and broke up with me immediately after the sixth grade dance. Amen. Yes. Yeah. So that, that was the end. Yep. So we were I mean, we still were friends and we went to church together, we went to school together and her senior year of college, she came back. And I was in a wedding and really, I mean, you saw this handsome man <laughs> up there with a tuxedo on. You're like, that's the guy I'm going to marry. And then the rest is history. That's how Full disclosure, I did think he does look a lot cuter than he used to look. And, you know, but it did start a friendship that yeah. slowly turned into much more over time, which was a great foundation for a marriage. Yeah. What is your biggest joy and what's your biggest challenge you think in marriage? For us, it's been wonderful to experience new things together. Chase plays golf. So I decided, you <laughs> know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take golf lessons so that we can go do golf together. Like recently I've gotten into gardening and Chase helped me build beds for my gardening. We've we done boxing classes together. We've done all kinds of things where it's just fun to experience these new things together and kind of this emphasis of like, hey, if you're interested in something, like I'm gonna try to like lean in and just see, I may not love golf because um, it frustrates me so much, Jeff. I don't understand. Yeah, that's us too. What are y'all doing with golf? <laughs> like what? I don't get it. But it's just been so wonderful over time to continue to develop things that we're interested in and, and what we learned together through that. And we've just had a lot of fun, honestly. On the challenging side, I would say uh, communication has always been the hardest part. And obviously that changes in different seasons. Some seasons are harder and easier. You know, right now we have two small children. We both have full-time careers. So there's a lot of factors at play that make it even harder. You know, it's like every time that you think, you know what, we're doing so great at community. You know, we're really in sync. And then something happens and you're out of sync and then you have to just yeah. keep working towards that. And continuing to see, you know what? I was made in the image of God and it's wonderful and good. And he is also made in the image <laughs> of God and it's wonderful and good. And, you know, just learning that is challenging and, and wonderful. Yeah. So how do you keep Jesus at the center of your marriage? That's such a great question. And I, I would say that it's easy. Like, it's really not. It's something that 
you know, we, we don't wake up each day and say, man, this is glorious. Like we don't, have, this is so easy for us. It's a battle to keep Jesus at the center. We can't just assume Jesus is just going to be there. We have to fight for it. And so a couple ways, I feel like practically we've done that over time. I, I say pray for one another, but more specifically that, know specifically how to pray for the other person. I've had to learn over time how to communicate needs and emotions to be able to best pray for one another. The second thing I would say, like, just do our best to talk about Jesus. Mm. What is God doing in your life? You can't keep Jesus at the center of your marriage if you never talk about him. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's a, hey, let's, let's find moments throughout the week to talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus to others and, and to our kids. And, and as a family unit, just talk about Jesus. And I would say the last thing might be the most difficult, serve one another, um, being intentional with it. And what we found is not just serve one another, but serve others as well. Make that a part. It, Courtney does an incredible job serving um, at the eight o'clock service with the preschoolers. Um, and just make that a, com a conversation in our, in our lives. Because the reality is the serving, what we believe connects us not only to one another, it connects us to Jesus. And so we look at Jesus' life and one of the things he, he expresses is serve other people. And, and this is the, we have to let go of our wants and our desires. And sometimes in order to best serve, to be able to go low in order to elevate the other person. I think that's a large part of what marriage is. And as difficult it is, sometimes we gotta let go of our, our desires and our wants and go low in order to elevate your spouse. Thank you guys so much for sharing, man. We just love you personally, just love your heart and uh, the way you love each other. And your marriage is contagious to all of us here at Rolling Hills. So thank you for sharing today. Well, I'd like to give you a goal this morning. And here's the goal. I want you to see if you could figure out how to do this in life. Oh, could you figure out how to uh, kind of accumulate $5 million over the next 20 years? Okay, so that's a goal for each and every one of you. And some of you are like, wow, that sounds like a really big goal. How would you go about doing that? If I said that's the goal for you today, you obviously are going to come up with a lot of plans in order to see if that goal could become a reality. And so let me give you a few things that you could try to accumulate $5 million over the next 20 years. For starters, you could steal it. Um, <laughs> bad idea. Uh, you know, not only will you have $20 million in your future, but prison will also be in your future. So again, I wouldn't encourage that. Uh, you could play the lottery or some sweepstakes to try to spend your money to strike it rich. And that probably is not going to work out for you um, either. Maybe you could inherit it. Maybe you have an aunt who's rich in Boca and she just decides to bequeath that to you and that could come your way. Or probably the most difficult option, if you actually wanted to see this happen, the most difficult option and the one that's the most likely to happen would be that you work for it, that you work hard and you put it to work for you and you save it and you live below your means and all of those things, realizing that in order to accomplish that goal, it's going to take a high degree of discipline. And it's not something that I'm just going to fall into, if you will. I'm sure that most of you guys could say the methodology that would work would be the one that's tried and true. And so when we set our sights on where we're headed today with leaving a legacy of love, my question for you is how do you go about doing that? Is this something that you leap to chance or is this something that you work at? Is this something that takes some sweat equity or is this something that just happens per just situations or circumstances aligning in your favor? The reality is most of us would say that if I want to accomplish something in life that's really worth doing, I'm going to have to put some effort into it, aren't I? 
I'm going to have to work at it. Now, I in no way, shape, or form am going to preach a sermon to you today that all the good things in life happen because of works, because that is clearly not biblical as well. But I think that we can attest to the fact that there's something about discipline, isn't there? And there's something about intentionality, and there's something about setting our sights on what we want to see happen in our life and trusting that God will give us the discipline to make that happen. So today we conclude this series, Live in Love, and we're unpacking this big concept of leaving a legacy of love. How does my life, my relationships, my marriage, my parenting leave a legacy of love? How do I live a life that truly matters, not just for me, but for my children and for your children and for the generations to come? Know that I'm so thankful that you're here with us today, and I want you to pray with us this morning. Because when we open the Word of God and when God speaks to us through His Word, what we have to do is respond to that. And we have to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to that? And so I'm going to pray that we would all have the courage to respond in whatever way it is that God makes himself known to us today through his word, that we would respond and that our relationships would grow and that we would leave that legacy of love. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for an incredible morning of worship. Thank you for these stories. Thank you for your word that we get to dig in today. God, and I pray that you would help us to feast on you and help us to draw strength from you and help us to be changed in the process because, God, you are here and you're faithful. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do as we seek to just make ourselves available for you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Our text today comes from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And if you have a Bible, hop on uh, your mobile device or you can follow along with me on the screen here in John 13, verses 34 and 35. And this comes near, uh, closer to kind of the end of Jesus's public ministry. And he's with his disciples. And these are the words of Jesus. And I want you to hear what he says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says this is the new command. It's a new command to love one another. But what's at the root of that love? What's at the root of this concept of living a life of love or leaving a legacy of love? We have to kind of dig in to the core truth. The crux of the message is this, that God loves us and we in turn go love other people. Right there in verse 34 is kind of the heart of the message when he says, as I have loved you, So you are to go and love others as I have loved you. And all throughout this series, we've been coming back to this truth that as the love of God has transformed our lives, we in turn grow and live a life of love. So I want this morning this to be said for the front of the room, the back of the room, to the right, to the left, to anyone who would ever listen to this message online later. Please write this down. This has to be stated and we can't go any further without understanding this truth, Jesus loves you more than you are capable of putting words to. Jesus loves you more than you are capable of putting words to right now. It's at the heart of this message, as I have loved you. I believe it's hard for us to find any words in the English language to fully express this type of love. This sacrificial love that Jesus has shown me to bring me peace, to give me joy, to give me salvation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And sometimes we stop there, but we got to keep going to verse 17. Because verse 17 says, For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God didn't send Jesus to condemn you. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but rather he gave the life of his son so that you and I could be saved, so that we could experience salvation, so we could experience freedom. And that love of God, my friends... It's what changes everything. It's the love of God that has truly wrecked my life in the best of ways, that has turned my life on end, 
that has helped me realize that I have something that I do not deserve. And do you know you can have that as well? It's salvation and it's peace and it's hope in the midst of all of the storms of life. But then Jesus turns and says, in not only this fulfillment of his mission, as I have loved you, but he gives us one of our greatest commissions, that we are now to go in turn and love others. What am I supposed to do? I'm to go show that. And I'm to go live a life of love. And according to the words of Jesus, that will actually be the litmus test of a true disciple. If I really want to know, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ, that that litmus test will be, am I showing the love of Christ to others? This probably comes as no surprise to anybody in the room, but you and I will not leave a legacy of love if we don't understand how much God loves us through his son Jesus and how much he in turn wants us to go love others. We have to establish this as the baseline this morning because without this, none of the practical things that I'm going to unpack here in a little bit will make any sense to you. So I hope that you'll write this down as well. Love then should be the defining characteristic of your life. Love should be the defining characteristic of your life. Now, what are all the things in life that can define us? Lots of things. Some of us are defined by our jobs. Some of us are defined by our educational credentials. Some of us are defined by kids, or maybe you're defined by having a kid who's really good in sports, or maybe it's financial status that you have, or it's a political party that defines you. But at the core, Jesus says love should be our defining characteristic. It is what we should be known by. Now, John gives us a little more teaching in this in the letter 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, when he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, if you got confused there, you're probably like, a big whiteboard would have been helpful because that was a lot of love God and this and that and all that kind of thing. Let me break it down for you. Anyone, he says, who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. So again, this is another reminder of that litmus test, another reminder of what it really takes to leave a legacy of love. And I like this passage of Scripture for so many reasons, but one is because it kind of draws a line in the sand. And it's kind of one of those truths that we have to grapple with, because in essence, what the Word of God is telling us here is that you can't claim to know God and be in a relationship with God and simultaneously not be growing in love for other people. And I'm hanging out here a little bit longer this morning because I'm really convicted of what I see sometimes in my own life and what I hear in the lives of other people is that instead of growing in love for God and love for people, we're professing to grow in love for God and simultaneously growing out of love for other people. And that is simply irony at its finest. It's kind of like if you're talking to someone and they say, yeah, I like Auburn and I like Alabama. No, you don't. It's not possible. I love Kentucky basketball and Tennessee basketball. Wrong. There's no, you can't. You can't truly have love for both of those. In essence, when you tell me that, what you're actually saying is I really don't care about either. I'm just kind of flippantly saying, yeah, I care about this or I don't care about that. In the same way, for me to say I want to leave a legacy of love, I can't in the same hand say, but I don't want to love people. Because if I'm saying both of those statements, then I will likely live a life that reflects neither of them. So what is the cautionary tale then? 
What is the cautionary tale? If we want to leave a legacy of love in our marriages, in our relationships, our dating relationships, or your future marriage or future relationships, what has to happen? Here's the cautionary tale. If not careful, you can incorrectly measure what really matters most in life. And we have people out there, and it's a constant struggle for all of us, who are leaving a legacy that doesn't really matter. And if we're careful... Not careful, I should say, we're going to incorrectly measure what really matters most in life. Well, what matters most in life? Well, the words of Jesus tell us that the greatest command is to love God and to love people. It was right there in that text that I read in John 13. It tells us in these other texts that everybody will know that you're my disciple by the love that you have for one another. Matthew 6, another teaching of Jesus, really highlights for us the importance of a legacy of love. Jesus tells us, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a good one. Because Jesus is kind of hitting the nail on the head with that one. He is speaking to what it means to leave a godly legacy in such a profound way. Jesus is saying, if you only measure your life by the worldly metrics, by what the world says really matters, then you are investing in things that moths are going to eat and rust is going to destroy. But he says there is a better way. You can store up for yourself treasures in heaven where thieves don't break in and where they don't steal. See, those are what I like to call the Godly legacy builders, those godly legacy creators in your life and in my life. So what are those things specifically when it comes to my family or my marriage or my relationships? What are those legacy creators? Simply put, it's me making a determination that says individually and in my family unit, we want to understand that the things of God matter more than anything else. That's what it takes to say the things of God matter in my life more than the things of the world. The things of God matter more in my marriage than the things of the world. The things of God matter more in my family than the things of the world. And if we're not careful, I'm somewhat afraid that even we as Christ followers are sending the wrong message to the next generation about what a legacy really looks like. And in the essence of time, I cannot unpack everything that we're sending on that is not fruitful, but let's just unpack a few of these. Because we've bought into this lie that money is really what makes everything awesome in life. I hope this bursts nobody's bubble in the room, but money is not what matters in life, period. It doesn't. It will always leave you wanting more if that's your only motivation. If that's the message that you're sending your kids, it will also leave them empty. Because there's more to life. For example, what do you think would be better to leave your kids? Would it be better to leave your kids a million dollars of an inheritance or a Christ-honoring legacy? What would be better? You can only pick one. Would it be better to leave your kids a million dollars as an inheritance or a legacy of Christ's love? Now, I'm not here to judge any of you, but if there was a little bit of a pause on that answer, if there was a little bit of a, hmm, This is not a place to judge, but this is a place for us to just collectively say, if there was some pause there, then perhaps there's something in my life I need to lean into just a little bit to understand to see if my priorities are exactly where they need to be. Reggie Joyner very poignantly said that inheritance is what you leave for someone. A legacy is what you leave in them. Isn't that good? An inheritance is what you leave for someone. 
whereas a legacy is what you leave in them. See, it's those legacy pieces that my kids will take with them and that your kids and your grandkids will take with them. So it's not just money that we pass on that's an unfortunate um, legacy that we think will be everything. It's not just that. There's so many things. It's also been my experience that one of the more consuming messages that we're sending the next generation is that life's all about them and that you get what you want whenever you want it. Just live your life. Don't worry about giving. Don't worry about making a difference. You just do you and be a consumer. And again, that's false. Did you know one of the clearest ways to instill and leave a legacy of love in your family is Chase and Courtney were talking about it earlier, but it's to live a life of service, to allow those in your home to see you serving, to see you making a difference because it keeps that legacy going. Here at Rolling Hills, we literally could not do what we do without amazing volunteers like you across the board in all areas. But I'm also here to say this morning that all of our teams are hiring. We would love to have you serving in some capacity because what happens in those moments is you move from, uh, uh, from an understanding of just what it, what it means to, to be here and to be present, to move to a place to say, I'm contributing and I'm serving and I'm making a difference. I believe that one of the best things that your kids can see you do is to serve other people because what does it tell them? It tells them that mom and dad are not just about themselves but they're about living a life of service to others. I believe it's one of the things that separates us from just saying, I want to leave an inheritance to I want to leave a legacy. Another thing that I believe that we have to owe to the next generation is to show them what it means to have God-honoring marriages and to have God-honoring parent relationships and to have God-honoring dating relationships and even friendships to that degree. So here's the reality. Just like you're family will see the importance of serving, they will also see what marriage should look like based on what they see most closely in their home. Maybe you want to write this down. The next generation will form an understanding of marriage and relationships based largely on what they see lived out in front of them. I've worked with a lot of young couples, and when we get to that point in premarital counseling where we talk about your views of marriage, they will basically give me a carbon copy answer of what they saw unfolded in their own home. Whether it was right or wrong, it's what is normative. And what Psalm 145.4 says is that one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. What is the psalmist saying here? He's saying something incredible happens when one generation passes faith onto the next generation. And when one generation shows the next generation how to live a life of faith. But it's not just those blessings that are caught. It's also those obstacles. And it's also those things that you're not proud of that can get passed down if we don't stop and take stock of where we are in our life. In your home, for example, if it's really normal for your kids to see you reading the Bible, to see you serving, to see you being generous, it doesn't automatically mean that they will just naturally do all of those things. Some of y'all are saying, we tried the best with that and our kids are not there yet. I understand that. It will, however, become normative for them. And those things that they deem as normal will be things that they will more than likely gravitate to. Because on the flip side, if your home was a home where there wasn't trust and there wasn't love and there wasn't respect and there was raised voices or maybe just ambivalence towards God, then that will also be considered normal. And we want to prevent that. That's why we're doing this series 
It's to help resource you and to give you the tools to say, you know what, I want to cut some of these things off at the past before they ever happen. Or I want to set the right boundaries. Or, or perhaps I need to, to, to you know, work in some new norms in our home. And as a parent myself, I'm passionate about making sure that we as parents are modeling that for our kids, the importance of that marriage relationship, the importance of that husband and wife relationship and how that marriage relationship is the most important relationship in your home. And your kids need to see that. Somewhat, sometimes this is shocking for parents to hear, but you've got to work on your marriage. And it needs to be prioritized above the other relationships in your home. It's so important. And what we've seen unfolded over the last three to four decades, and I'm going to share with you some research here in a minute that I think attests to this. What we've seen unfold over the last three to four decades has been relationships where kids have been put first over marriages and what happens when kids grow up. Eventually, and thankfully, they leave, don't they? It's a little bit sad, I guess. I might have it left yet. It will be sad. I'm not excited about that day. But if they're in their 40s, I really don't want them in my house. <laughs> anymore. So you need them to leave, right? They, they grow up. But if then all you have had is a relationship based around them, they leave the home and you're staring at somebody that you're not necessarily married to anymore, but you're staring at somebody that you've went to a lot of baseball games with and that you've done a lot of parenting with, but that you haven't necessarily been married to. And instead of growing in that relationship, it's easy for that relationship to decline. Listen to these stats. This is according to the American Psychological Association. Okay, so these are verifiable stats. This is not some guy with an internet connection in Ohio who just decided to, you know, put this out on the internet. I pulled it off the internet, but it's from the American Psychological Association. In 1990, okay, 30 years ago, in 1990, 8.7% of all divorces in the United States occurred among adults 50 and older. In 1990, 8.7% of all divorces, 50 and older. By 2019, that percentage had grown to 36%. So that means in a 30-year period of time, the divorce rate among those 50-plus quadrupled. And so rightly so, the American Psychological Association wants to know why. And listen to what one of their researchers said, Dr. Kelly Kitchy, a professor of human development. She says, leaving partners have decided that they're more reluctant to settle for what some have described as empty shell marriages, particularly after their children have left home. So what happens with a lot of couples at age 50 is their kids are gone, and they're left with this empty shell, and it so had becomes more appealing to either just quit or to try and go recreate that love with someone else. And obviously, there's a number of factors that are at play. But even this research alone would tell you that there's something to this, that you can easily get into an empty shell if not careful, because what does an empty shell mean? It means that the insides are not attended to. And it means that the intentionality of the insides is not adjusted. Again, one of the goals is to maybe help you see that and to say, we want to course correct. And we want to write a different story in our life. Now, some of you saw this lived out in the home that you grew up in. And some of you did not on a truly personal, deeply personal level. I'm truly grateful that this was modeled for me. I have loving parents who are approaching almost 50 years of marriage. And to date, they are ridiculously in love with Jesus. And they're ridiculously in love with each other. And they do not have an empty shell. Now, we had our problems growing up. And I had my problems, and I still do. 
But my parents had a lot of intentionality with how they were in a marriage relationship and, of course, how they parented us. We lived modestly. We took vacations every year. My brother and I both did sports and activities. But our life from the world's eyes was anything, I mean, exciting is not a word that we would have used. You would have looked at our life and you would have thought, that seems pretty bland, maybe even quasi-boring. But you know what I appreciate about my childhood? I appreciate about my childhood that, yeah, it was a little bit boring, but it was very steady. It was very steady. And now as a parent myself, and as someone who continues to struggle, and as someone who's trying to figure this out, it has taken me a couple of decades to really be comfortable with the fact that my boring upbringing was actually really great. And I think it's time that we start normalizing boring stories and say, what, you had a boring home? Praise God. (laughs) You had a home that was steady? Praise God. You had a home that you could count on every Tuesday night being taco night, Ortega shells, and salsa out of a jar? Praise God. (laughs) That we had a home where love was in abundance, where fellowship was rich. It wasn't exciting all the time. It wasn't elaborate most of the time. But there was care. And there was respect and there was love. But do you know what else there was in my home? There was a sense of deep understanding that I knew how much my mom and dad loved each other. In fact, I've told this story before, but I spoke back to my mom as a 15-year-old boy one time, once and only once. (laughs) Because when I did that, my dad reminded me very kindly and very lovingly that his second most favorite person, me, had disrespected his first most favorite person, my mom, and that that was not what would happen in this home. And he said a few more words that I knew that he meant, which were, and if you do it again, you will have to find a new place to live. And I knew that he actually meant that. Like, not in a scary way, but like, your grandma will have to come and get you for a little bit (laughs) and show some grace and mercy to you. So when my brother and I left our home, My parents were not forced to readjust their priorities. They continued to just pour fuel on what was already growing. And I hope and pray that someday my kids would be able to say, you know what, we had a normal life. Quasi-boring. Quasi-bland. But very steady. Now, here's what I'm aware of. I work with people 365 days a year. I know that many of you in the room, that is not your story. Many of you in the room, that is not your story. That was not what your childhood looked like. And you might be saying, well, that's easy, Pastor Jason, for you to get up there and preach this sermon because of the childhood that you had. I am acutely aware that that is not everybody's story. But this is what I'm also aware of. Many of you, that is not your story. And you have made a commitment right now to say, not my past, but it will be our future. Many of you have said, that's not the childhood that I had, but it will be the norms that we create. I've heard from dads, moms, men and women over the years that you were raised in homes where you never heard the phrase, I love you. Many of you in this room, that's probably your story. You never heard those words from your dad or you never heard those words from your mom. And you know what I love when you tell me that story, when you add on to that, but we are are seeking to make that such a phrase in our home that our kids are just sick of hearing it. (laughs) I never heard it, so I'm gonna say it daily, hourly, moment by moment, so that my kids know how much I love them. 
And isn't it incredible by the grace of God, if that was not your story, that you get the opportunity right now to write a new story? And the only way that we get the opportunity to write a new story is because of the grace afforded us through Jesus Christ. That all those mistakes that you've made, when a room of people are assembled together, the likelihood that there's people in here who have made mistakes, absolutely. Praise God, we get to write new stories. He forgives us for those things. And we get to start new chapters. And so I pray that you would have the courage to do that today. Whether you're single or married or retired, rich or poor, just like winning the lottery is probably not the best and most sage financial advice, leaving a legacy is also not something that we should just leave for chance, but rather it's something we should work at. In fact, I hope you'll write this down. You're never going to stumble into a godly legacy. You don't ever stumble into a godly legacy. A godly legacy is all about living a life of contentment and a life of holiness. 1 Timothy 6, 6, I love this verse of Scripture. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If I want great gain in my life, then what the writers of Scripture say is it's godliness coupled with contentment. And that contentment is that understanding of I'm going to be joyful in all circumstances. I'm going to take things as they come. I'm going to navigate the highs. I'm going to navigate the lows. And I'm going to keep the main things the main things. But what's going to be required of me? I'm going to have to work at it. The temptation is going to be do nothing and hope for the best. When in reality, imagine what could happen if we really adopt the words of Jesus and we say, I'm going to live my life based on the metrics that Jesus gives us. I'm going to live according to the power of the word of God. And I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, I can go live a life of love and leave a legacy of love. So instead of just leaving it all for chance, how about we try these things on for size today? As he has loved me, I'm going to love others. As he has forgiven me, I'm not going to be defined by my past struggles anymore, but I'm going to walk in the newness of life. As I have dealt with my own personal issues, I'm going to give those to him. As I've struggled with my own insecurities, I'm going to submit and hand those over to him. Maybe as a couple, he's brought some things in your life that you need to course correct as a family, and you're going to make a commitment right now to say, we are going to make those course corrections, and honestly, we do not care how crazy around the people around us think that we might be <laughs> for doing that. Or maybe as a husband and wife, you're going to prioritize one another for the first time. And as followers of Jesus, you're going to say, we're not going to just look over these scriptures that are hard for us to live. We're not going to seek to admit those, but we're going to seek to live under that truth because we know that that's ultimately what will instill and leave a God-honoring legacy. And lastly, I'm not going to leave it to chance. I'm certainly not going to be lazy about it, but I'm going to do all that I can to live in a way that reflects the love of God as he has loved me and that I will seek to go show that love to others. What do we know about a legacy of love? A legacy of love is a lot of work. But praise God, you do not work alone. And a legacy of love is a lot of work, but praise God, that work is worth it. We're not alone it's difficult. It requires some intentionality, but my friends, it is worth it. Can we make a commitment today to say, God, I want to leave a legacy of love, and I know that that starts here and now. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it, and make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, 
our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.